The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Galatians 6. Oh, I, I have a, gosh, I have several announcements. Okay, um, parents of fifth graders, move up Sunday is June 14th. They're doing some special, like, rite of passage stuff that your kids are not going to want to miss. So make sure you're here that weekend. And there will also be a barbecue after service for you and your children. Um, if you don't have a Bible, stick your hand up nice and high. One of these gentlemen is going to make sure that you get one. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, that is your gift. You can have that. We pray it will serve you well. Um, Heritage Family Camp is on 4th of July weekend. That's another one of the least attended Sundays of the year. In this case, it'll be a super light attended Sunday because we'll have Family Camp going at the same time down in Northern California with Adventure Whitewaters. If you've never, uh, if you didn't get to, to go last year, let me encourage you to do this. It was so much fun. Yes, it's tent camping, but trust me, my wife hates tent camping loved family camp because they do all the cooking for you. Everything's covered. You're like out rafting the river. You pull the boat right to shore, right at the campsite, and the burgers are already cooking. Um, we do, do a big movie night by the bonfire. It's just a fantastic, fantastic time. So uh, make sure you get signed up for that, and you can get information at the back table or at heritagefellowship.net, our website. And then I just wanted to take a quick opportunity to uh, bring you up to speed on a couple of things that are going on this summer. Um, I did this a little bit on Wednesday night, and the feedback I got from that was really supportive. People really like to know what's going on. Funny how that works. And, um, and, and so last week I was gone. I appreciate your grace in allowing that, and I'm so thankful for Sam bringing the word last week. Um, I took kind of a personal retreat, but it wasn't like a go uh, hang out and have fun retreat. It was an actual like working retreat. Um, there were just some administrative things that have been sitting on my desk for a really long time. And I knew if I don't just get away and shut off the phone, I'm not going to be able to get this stuff done. So me and the dog went to a cabin in central Oregon and we sat up by East Lake and where the phones don't work and it was beautiful and there were thunderstorms and it was awesome. And uh, we worked on things like uh, bringing our bylaws up to date, reflecting uh, our statement of faith and marriage definitions and those sorts of things. If you're following the news, you understand we've talked about this over the last few months um, and the challenges that churches are facing, um, what even our church attorney and other churches and pastors throughout the valley are having to face um, for us. It's a, it's a lot of stuff. We, we've got a lot of things on the horizon that are pretty big deals for our church. And so I just want to let you guys know about this so that you might be able to just pray for us as we're working through some of this stuff. One of them is that. We, we are in the process of trying to solidify our bylaws, our statement of faith. Well, the statement of faith is already solidified, but making sure all of that is integrated into our bylaws as well as we are having to develop some form of official church membership. And if that makes your hair stand up, you should go back and listen to our series we did last fall, in particular the last of the four teachings under the series Faithful Transmission. We went into a lot of detail about that, but, but the reality is, is that non-denominational churches like us that don't have formal membership are ripe for the picking with regards to particularly the issue of marriage. Because with the law changes that are coming down, when you don't have a membership role in place where people sign off onto a particular statement of faith and belief system, and you're just instead saying, we'll do this wedding and we won't do this wedding, then you are by definition discriminating. And those are going to be the first people that, I mean, all of our attorney, all the churches we're talking to, this is the same thing. It's happening all over the place. Um, and so we're having to do something that sort of solidifies who we are and, and protects the church so that we can continue to do gospel ministry. Some churches are just going, well, then here's what we'll do. We'll just stop doing weddings altogether, and that way we don't have to worry about it. And I understand their heart in that. I just think that's horrible. Because marriage is one of the ordinances of the church that the church is supposed to be a part of. And will that protect us long term if these things continue to go that direction? Maybe not, but it is a step that we've been advised by so many people to do. And, and so what we're trying to do right now is go, okay, if that's what we're going to do, we don't want to do anything just because. So how would we use something like a membership role at our church or something to be able to further discipleship and further pastoral care and further um, glorify God in everything that we do? So this is like new territory for us. We're bringing in actually even this week a guy who's an executive pastor 
pastor at an Acts 29 church in Washington. This guy's a brilliant lecturer, and he does coaching and assessment stuff for organizational structures and legal issues and all that kind of stuff. We've actually hired him to come into town this week, and he's going to spend some time with us later in the week and kind of look at how things are laid out and kind of just say, if I was here, here are the things that I would do. And we're just really trying to devote some time this summer into the organizational structure, um, financial oversight, all of those sorts of things. Um, Because the reality of it is, I'll just be quite honest with you, I'm horrible at that stuff. Like, I'm a relational, let's hang out. We should write it down. Ah, we'll write it down tomorrow. Like, that's me. And so I'm just not gifted in that area. And and what we've discovered is that that's just an area within our church that we just need to solidify some some sort of administrative structure in those things. So we're working on some of that stuff. Um, As you guys know, we have the Awanas program that's going to be launching in September, which that's a giant deal for our kids. And we're really excited about that. But that's going to force some things that we're going to have to deal with here um, for for us as adults because the Wednesday night service we do in here is sort of a a smaller version of what we're doing right now. Um, But we're going to lose this room because the Awanas program is so big that it will take this entire gymnasium all the way to the back will be the Awanas program in here. So we're like, well, what do we do? We could go to the hub and meet over there and kick the youth group out. But man, the the youth are, the the stuff they're doing over there right now is unbelievable. And they're just packed out every Wednesday night. And I just don't have the heart to kick the kids out of there with all the stuff that's going on. Plus, Jeremy begged me and I felt bad for him. So so we're not going to do that. And then we're like, well, we could go in here into the music suite and we could do that. But there's also a lot of setup stuff. And if the kids in here are noisy, what do we do? And we're just really been wrestling with that. And, and, And actually what we're sort of leaning to and still praying through is, is taking Wednesday night and just going, well, if we're shifting stuff around, let's just blow the whole thing up and try something new for a change. So what we're actually thinking about doing is breaking Wednesday night up into smaller classes and having sort of uh, adult discipleship classes that you would sign up for in advance. They would run for, you know, say three months and here's one on this and here's a class on this and here's a class on this and different people teach each one. And then, so you'd go sign up for one of them. You go through that for six weeks or three months, whatever it is. And then when that's over, you could sign up for one of the different ones and you just switch around and and maybe giving us the opportunity to deal with some real life issues and some more discipleship oriented stuff, as well as give others inside the body here who have a gift for teaching more opportunity to be able to teach and lead um, and facilitate interaction because you're in a smaller classroom setting, if that makes sense. So we're leaning towards doing some of that. Uh, um, We're also right now in the process of doing a search to hire a junior high pastor here for the church. Um, we feel like that, that group on Sunday, and they're packed out right now over there. And, and Jeremy has his hands full trying to juggle both of them. And so it's time to try to bring some of that stuff off of his plate. So we're looking um, to try to find a young man that we can bring in and pay him like, I don't know, three bucks an hour and have him be our junior high pastor and do some stuff there. Um, and then even with meeting with this guy this weekend and looking at the administrative issues and, and executive stuff, all that stuff, we're even praying about whether we need to make an additional pastoral hire this year just to hire an executive pastor to deal with those sorts of issues as well. So there is a lot of organizational stuff going on within the church right now. Um, I wanted to bring that to your attention so that you can pray so that you can understand what's, what's going on in there, so that you can kind of have your finger on the pulse of things that are going on. I, the feedback I get from you guys is that when you get to understand the different things that are going on, that it's a blessing to you. And so we want to be able to do that. And, and, and we're trying to a greater and greater degree to be able to do things like that with a certain degree of transparency so that things aren't always surprises when they come down the pipe. I know surprises tend to freak some people out. And so that's sort of our, our goal. So there is a lot going on at the church this summer. And moving into the fall, I I think, like I said before, I I think I'm going to be skipping, uh, I've been working towards my master's degree up at Western, and I think I'm going to be taking the fall off, and we're just really going to focus on fine-tuning a lot of the things that we do here as a church so that we can just minister more effectively um, and just have greater organizational structure and clarity. So if you guys would, like I said, that's not my strong suit. Um, Really, other than Brent, who does children's ministry, we don't really have anyone on our staff who would say, yeah, executive stuff, administrative charts and graphs. That's my kind of thing. We, it, we bristle at that stuff, but as we've grown, we see the definite need for that. So if you would just pray for God's grace for us as we're working through those things. Amen? Um, so that's kind of uh, the announcements of where we are. Again, if you didn't go camping this week and you came to the lowest attended Sunday of the year, you got the update. Don't share any of this with any of them. 
Don't tell them any of it. No. Um, but, but let me tell you this, man, our church is doing well. Um, we went, I told you guys to that uh, financial seminar thing and workshop, and, and it was fantastic. Even all the different accounting uh, safeties and precautions and checks and balances that they introduced, we had all of those things in place already. Um, and actually, as we were interacting with other churches and pastors about our financial situation and the way things are handled, everyone kept referring to us as the church that's in the position we all wish we were in. So that's good news, Amen. That's good news. God has been really faithful to us, and we just want to be able to grow in faithfulness and stewardship moving forward. So continue to pray for us, if you would. Um, That being out of the way, let's look at Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to be beginning in verse 6 this morning. Galatians chapter 6. We are almost done. The plan here, and, and this is one of the other things I was doing last weekend as well, um, the plan here is to finish Galatians next week, and then in June we'll kick off our series on the book of Ephesians. So one of the things I was doing last week also when I was away was kind of outlining the entire book of Ephesians and trying to break down the structure of what we're going to be going through there. Um, that should start in about two weeks, and that's going to be a really rich time. We're going to be looking at Ephesians through the lens of become what you are. Because Ephesians starts out with the idea of who our identity is in Christ. And then as the book goes on, it plays out like in light of that identity, who are we and how are we to behave and how do we interact with others and and how do we serve and how does the church function um, in light of our identity in Christ. So that's going to be our theme starting in two weeks. Today we'll get through verse 10 in Galatians 6, and then we will finish out the final warning and benedictions that Paul gives in verses 11 through 18 next week. Um, And what we've seen so far going through the book of Galatians is that Galatians is an all-out assault on perversions of the gospel. That's really the idea here. Paul is writing a letter to churches he had planted years previously that have fallen prey to perversions of the gospel. Um, the, the foundation they were built on is no longer the foundation they're operating under anymore. People have come in and said, eh, Paul, yeah, he got some of that right, but he left out a whole bunch of stuff. And so a lot of false teaching and, and distracted teaching and, and has come in and invaded the church, and it has perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ in that area. And so Paul's letter in the book of Galatians, it's, it's not a book so much as a letter to these churches and to us that says, hey, knock it off. Don't fall prey to these perversions. And so what we've understood for sure, we should understand, if you've been tracking with us through this series, is the reality, or maybe a a better way of saying it, is we should have a clear definition of exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus has done for us that which we could never, ever possibly do for ourselves. The gospel is not that Jeff used to be an idiot, but now he's figured it out, and so he's finally living a life that honors God, and he got his act together. That's not the gospel. The church is not a group of people who now we understand the rules and what God commands us to do, so we walk in this line and things are going really well. It's not what the church of Jesus Christ is. We're not a a moralistic social club. We are a sanctuary of people who have received massive grace because of our failures to walk in line with God's word. That's what the church really is. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we couldn't possibly save ourselves. We couldn't possibly earn salvation. We couldn't possibly be good enough to ever earn God's approval. And yet, knowing that, God the Father had pity on us. He sent his son to die on our behalf That Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He lived the life we couldn't live. But then he went to the cross and experienced and took on the punishment that we definitely deserved. And because Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross, died, was buried, rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and is now ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, where he advocates on our behalf. And he says to us, believe in me and you will have eternal life. And so by grace, not because we did something, 
Not, now, Jeff, if you want to be saved, I, I paid for your sins, and if you want admission into heaven and you want to be saved, here's what you do. You do this, 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 this. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is that I did everything, Jeff. Do you believe? It's really just as simple as that. And by faith in Jesus, we receive his grace and we are forgiven. Not because of anything we've done. And then here's the kicker, though, that sometimes we forget and it's good to be reminded of. The, the other part of the gospel is that he likes us. Now, I know that seems simplistic, but there can be times when we feel that we frustrate God so much because we do fail over and over again. And, and we can have this mentality because we get frustrated with others who fail us so much. We can have this thought process that says, man, God provided this avenue for salvation in Jesus, and I believe, but he's looking at me like, all right, get on the team, I guess. I should have had, I should have had some more rules in place to weed out the likes of Jeff. But that's not the case, that, that he sent his son because he loves you. He delights in you. He finds joy in you. You, like a good father, loves and desires his son or his daughter. God desperately loves you. That is such a refreshing thing to understand. That's the good news. But, but when that good news of the gospel goes out, there's two slippery slopes that tend to emerge. And we'll do these quickly because we've done them a million times already. The first is legalism. And legalism is the idea that Yes, Jesus and grace, but you also need these things and whatever they are. They're usually determined by your religious background or, or maybe your family history or where you live. There could be all sorts of things. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus Bible memory. Jesus plus tithing. Jesus plus church membership. Whatever the case might be. Or, or Jesus and don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And if you do those things plus Jesus, that's what defines you as a Christian. Paul makes it really clear in Galatians. He says, that is no gospel at all. Jesus plus something equals nothing for us. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything for us. We are saved for one reason and one reason only. It is not because we did anything right. It is because Jesus Christ has shown us grace. Totally should have got more amens than that. Memorial Day weekend. So, so that's one, and, and Galatians makes it clear. If you're trying to walk in legalism, you're not free, you are enslaved, and you're not honoring God. And, and then the other slippery slope is that of licentiousness that says, so Jesus has forgiven me, I can do anything I want then. If he's just going to forgive me, then it doesn't matter what I do. Uh, and, and that, as I, as, as I think those through, that's an attitude that maybe we don't see as much, but is probably more prevalent, we just don't recognize it in the same way. Because most of us are not people that go, Jesus saved me? Awesome. Then I can drink, I can sleep around, I can do all these different things to total excess, and it doesn't matter what I do because he's going to forgive me. He's God. He sort of has to. That's the program. I don't think any of us would do that. But what we can do from time to time is be those that go, God's forgiven me. I see in God's words something that's speaking into my life, but at this particular point in my life, I'm choosing not to believe that or not to apply that. We can pick and choose scripture. I believe this, I don't believe this. And really in that, you kind of become your own God because you're setting your own moral standards, your own moral code, your own law. And what we know for sure in any of you who have lived any length of time, it doesn't take very long to look back through our lives and realize the reality is we make crummy gods. We make crummy gods. And left to our own devices and our own decisions, we will get off the rails like that over and over and over. And so to live in such a way where we function as our own God, we'll do whatever we want, but Jesus is our fire insurance and we're covered, that is no gospel at all. And so Galatians defines and declares the, tr the true free gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the book of Galatians transitions towards the end, and this is the section that we're in now, to what does it look like then when a group of people who understand the true gospel covenant with one another and come together in faith choosing to walk this gospel out amongst one another? What does it look like if they believe this, and, and how does that belief affect the way that they relate to one another? And what we've seen so far already is that it's a beautiful thing when you see a gospel-centered community who chooses to serve one another. 
who chooses to esteem others as better than themselves, who chooses to operate with humility with one another, even humbly going and, and confronting one another in love when they've gotten off the rails, when they find them in sin, but yet being quick not just to point out that sin, but to throw an arm around someone and say, now let me help you walk this out, bearing one another's burdens. There is a beautiful kind of community that exists within a gospel-centered, spirit-led church that you cannot find in any other structure or system anywhere else in the world. In fact, that's sort of the point, that as people would see the church operating in such a way, practicing the fruits of the Spirit, that with love, joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness, long-suffering, those things being exhibited in our relationships with one another, that there's something about the church that's going to stand out that it's going to minister to one another and it's going to exemplify the coming kingdom of God to those outside the walls of the church. And so this is what we're studying here in Galatians 6. And we've gone through 1 through 5 last week and, or two weeks ago and this week we start in verse 6 which says this. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so most awkward verse in the whole book of Galatians for me to teach right here. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. But I do want to be faithful, so we're going to pass the baskets around right now, if you guys don't mind. Um, it's awkward, but be nice. Share. No, of course, of course not. Um, literally, nothing could be more uncomfortable than, than, than this for me to teach. But the reality is, is that the word of God has to stand above our comfort no matter what the topic is. So I'm, I'm gonna break this down, but I'm gonna defer it, if that makes sense, and maybe give you some other ways to possibly think through some of this stuff. Uh, here's the idea. Paul's interest here is that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be boldly proclaimed. That's what Paul wants. In every church Paul establishes, he goes into an area, he proclaims the gospel, people respond, he raises up a pastor, teaches that guy how to then go boldly proclaim the gospel, and then he moves on to the next place. And so this is what Paul desires. And the reason is, is that the primary way, and, and hear me on this, the primary way that God has ordained that the gospel would go forth and people would respond the primary avenue that that happens, according to Scripture, is through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. So what we're doing right now, for example, is the primary way. Now, it doesn't mean that no one ever comes to Jesus in any other way, but this is the primary method or program, biblically speaking, that God has chosen to send the gospel forth. This is what he wants. And so the idea is um, that these preachers would come up and proclaim it. Now, let me, let me ask you this. How many times have you ever come to church, here or anywhere else, and there's a guy up on stage and he's preaching the word and you feel like, somebody called that guy this week. Like, that guy knows exactly what's going on in my life right now and I cannot believe my wife emailed the pastor. Have you ever felt that way, show of hands? Honestly, anyone? I think it's more than that. I think some of you are still being lazy. I think all of us would admit that there have been times, maybe many, many times, when we've come into a service, the word is going forth, and we feel like that is like an arrow aimed right at my heart. It's as if he might as well use names. Now, let me assure you that none of that, that doesn't happen. I mean, guys, your wives don't email me during the week about the things going on in your life so that I might preach it. Well, most of your wives don't email me during the week to tell me about the things going on in your life. It's just, that's not what happens. What happens is, is that the word goes forth and there's something spiritual and supernatural even that's going on. And, and it's not so much about the person. It's not even so much about the style, because look, you, you've had that happen with different teachers. We've had that happen in different environments. Some of us have gone to churches at different times that are more, um, shall we say, formal than the setting that we have here, and you've heard the pastor get up and teach, maybe even in a monotone voice, just reading like that, but the word coming forth is piercing you, and then at other times, we've been in, in environments that are less formal. Yes, they do exist, environments that are less formal than this one, and the same exact thing can occur. I mean, the Great Awakening, the, the biggest revival in American history, um, though it started before this, the, the thing that really brought the Great Awakening to the attention of the world was in a, when a guy named Jonathan Edwards came, and he gave a sermon in Boston called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. 
And he gave this sermon. It was about the reality of hell and sin and how our sin has separated us from God. And the result of that sermon, people were weeping and moaning and literally falling on the floor and yelling out as he preached, what must I do to be saved? And that sermon went from there and it went like, spread like wildfire all over the United States. It was a massive, massive revival. But do you know how he presented it? When Jonathan Edwards came there, he didn't come in and start pounding on the pulpit and going, listen, this is what's going on. You've got to do this and you've got to do this. There were no lasers. There was no slideshow. He walked up. The sermon was written and he read it in a complete monotone voice. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And he intentionally never even looked up at the congregation. But the Spirit worked through those words, and that is a sermon, maybe the most famous sermon in the history of the United States that is still studied and read today. So it can't be the style, and it can't be the person, it can't be the location, even can't even be the time, because we see, you guys know this, today's Pentecost. Today's the day, historically, when the Holy Spirit came upon the group of believers after Jesus' ascension into heaven and the, the, began speaking in tongues, and the Holy Spirit really just came, and the church really was born today. And, and yet, here we are centuries later, and, and those same sorts of things can happen, that the Holy Spirit speaks in the same word. So what's the constant in all of that? It's the word of God. The constant's not the teacher and it's not the style, and it's not the location. It's the word. So when you hear someone teaching, it's not that Jeff is some amazing teacher and got an email from your wife, and now he's after you. What, what, what it is is that it's as if the word of God actually knows what's going on in the human heart. It's as if the word of God is alive and breathing, and, and the spirit of God working in conjunction with the proclamation of the word of God is doing a work. And so when we gather here like this, this is important. This is an important thing that we do. And so Paul's desire here was as he was raising people up, was he was saying, this is a really important thing to be done. And it's also a really valuable and beneficial thing for the life of the congregation or the church gathered together. And so he was putting into place, spirit-led, the Holy Spirit speaking through him, putting things into place to preserve and create this sort of gospel environment throughout time. And so he says, listen, the guy who is studying and he's putting time and he's putting all this stuff together to be able to speak into your life by the unction of the Holy Spirit, hey, take care of him. This is good for you, it's good for him, share with him. Now, for me, it, as awkward as this can be, um, it's also easy for me to teach on in a sense because this church and this congregation has been incredibly, incredibly generous to me and to my family. We have never, ever had want. You have cared for us and loved us and protected us and provided for us in so many ways. It is an absolute, from the bottom of my heart, joy to be able to be a teacher and pastor here at this congregation. So for me, this is easy. So let me defer them. Because we got pastors and staff people who, who actually get a paycheck to serve you and to prepare. And this week, I got paid time to prepare to teach this sermon. You know who didn't? People that are teaching your kids in the children's wing right now. People who are leading your huddle groups. Elders, men like John Herman and others who have been on the board who are praying and serving and ministering to the congregation here. Now, here's what will happen. Probably by tomorrow morning, this afternoon, tomorrow morning, um, I will probably get, typically get, lots of emails or text messages, things like that from you guys in the congregation encouraging me about the message and the service. Oh, that really spoke to me. Thank you for speaking that. And I am so, I love that. It is, um, especially on discouraging weekends, you have no idea how many times those sorts of messages have given me new energy to just to go on during the week. And I'm so thankful. I'll also get three or four, you stink. <laughs> um, it's, that's just the reality. Those tend not to come till Tuesday, but they come. But, but here's, here's the reality, though. There, there's people over there right now pouring your heart into your children in the same way that I'm pouring my heart into your guys that may never hear a word of that. And, and they're doing it on their time off on a weekend. 
And they've given of time in addition to their other jobs and their other things to study and to pray for your children, to pray for you in the huddle group, to minister, to call you up and say, hey, how are you doing? So let me encourage you. Apply this verse to them. If only to say this, hey, encourage them. Share with them what's going on in your life because of their ministry with you and with your children. When you pick up your kids, man, thank them for what they're doing and help them. Now, look, they are not doing this for the praise of people. They're not. Their reward is in heaven, and they're doing this to serve God. But I can tell you right now there is something encouraging when the body of Christ encourages one. It's a biblical good thing, and it's also good for us to be those sorts of thankful people that express gratitude when someone serves us. Amen? So let me encourage you, man. When people are faithfully handling the word of God, encourage them. Thank them. Man, buy them a, you, your son's got a favorite Sunday school teacher, buy the guy a coffee card and tell him thank you. But it is clear from Scripture that it is important that within a gospel-centered community, there should be a culture of, of respect and honor and love and appreciation for those who faithfully handle the word and serve the body of Christ in that way. Like I said, easy for me to say because you already do that stuff with me and with the other staff. We would all completely agree with that. Um, but there are so many others. And let me just urge you, if you would, just encourage them. And, and let me push it even further. Help them. I mean, it, it may be that sharing good things with them means sharing yourself with them and getting involved. I, even, I was given announcements here today, and I, I purposely, I didn't miss this, Kathy. I know she thinks I did. I held on to it because I knew I was going to talk about this when I saw it. But right now, we desperately need help with our setup teams, with our communion setup team for, on weekends and on Wednesday nights, and on our children's wing teardown teams at the end of service. I'll give you guys an example. He'd be mad if he knew I was telling you this. Um, there have been times where I've been here preaching, service is over, hang out with you guys, gone to lunch, went to the gym, worked out, came back to pick something up from my office that I forgot, and Brent's still here by himself doing teardown in the children's wing. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, and his smile on his face, he would never complain in a million years. Oh, I'm almost done, man, don't worry about it. But let me encourage you, man. Share good things with those who are serving you and your family, and, and that might mean getting involved, and we desperately need it. There's more of that coming when we get to verse 10, so let's just keep going. Verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Now in Scripture, whenever you see it say, don't be deceived, you should pay attention. Because the purpose in every single instance that this comes up, it's, it's telling the church, hey, here's something that you might walk in and think that you're right when you're actually wrong. So pay attention. It says, pay attention. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Reaping and sowing. We've, we've heard, many of you have heard this a lot. We've heard this principle of reaping and sowing. Um, but within the context of the passage, what is it that Paul's talking about reaping and sowing? Well, you could say it has to do with legalism. You could say if you, if you reap a legalistic attitude, if you treat others with a legalistic attitude, then be careful because there might come a day when you need grace, but what you're going to receive in return is legalism. And that can happen. I mean, the people who show grace tend to be the ones who, when they need it, they have it available because all of these people that have been blessed by them are there and ready to come to their side. Um, but, but those who are quick to just point fingers at other people all the time often find themselves all alone when they need people the most. So it could be that. Or it could be reap what you sow with regards to licentiousness. If, if you just run around drinking, smoking, chewing, cussing, sleeping around all the time, well, then you're going to reap the benefits of that. You're going to end up with um, whatever alcoholism or, or uh, I don't know, STDs or whatever, whatever the thing might be. You're going, to, you're going to reap the rewards of just that constant licentiousness that you live, and that may be the case. Um, I actually think that one's closer because when you look at the flow of the passage, this comes right on the heels of Galatians 5. And the next verse that we're going to go into here in verse 8 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. And the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So he goes back into, if you remember at the end of Galatians 5, this comparison between the Spirit and the flesh. 
the end of Galatians 5, we were told, we talked about there's this war going on within all of us, the flesh and its desires, the spirit and its desires, and at any given time, we're feeding one or the other. You guys all with me on that? Did any, anyone hear that Sunday? Amen? Anyone? No one. So spirit and the flesh. All right, back to Galatians 5, new sermon. Let's start over. This is what's going on here. So the idea is, look, what you sow, what you invest in, what you pour into, that's the thing that's going to produce fruit in your life. And it's this principle between this idea of sowing and reaping. This is what's going on here. Now, here's the deal. There could be, it'd be really easy to preach a sermon up here and just talk about, again, the fruits of the Spirit, the, the fruits of the flesh, and, and all this stuff. And we could go full on Jonathan Edwards and get sinners in the hand of an angry God. And, and maybe some of you have even been, like if you grew up, you went to church camp, and it would always be like the last night of church camp when you're around the bonfire, and that kind of sermon comes up. And it's like, so you need to repent of listening to rock and roll music, and you need to repent of all this stuff. And remember when you were a kid, and you're just coming forward the fire, just all this kind of stuff. And, and, and so here's what tends to happen. When we are confronted by things going on in our life or, or even big principles like this, the human tendency is to overcorrect um, in a way that's not sustainable. It, it's like a diet. Um, starvation diets never work. They're just not sustainable. Um, I, I've, over the last year, I've been just exercising, working out. I've lost a whole bunch of weight compared to where I was a year ago to now. And everyone's always coming up to me. You guys are always coming up to me going, which diet are you on? And I'm like, the one where you don't eat junk and you work out a lot. I think it's the old diet, I guess you would call it. Like that's, that's the only one that I've ever seen that is actually sustainable and works. Because if you go into some sort of starvation diet, you can only deal with that for so long. And so, so my own coach, Coach Konechny, who's here, part of our church here, and he's the physical trainer here at Cascade for their athletic teams. I've been working out with him since like August or so. And his idea is to build within you, or build within me as I've been working out with him some, um, sustainable patterns for exercise and working out and just kind of a slow growth thing. And so the first couple of times I even went and worked out with him, I was like, I paid for that? Sorry, Coach, but I did. I was just like, I barely even sweated. Like, what was the point of that? And that was expensive, man. I hope this is going to get better because my tendency is to just go for it. Running, to go for a run for me used to be, like if you did the split, say I ran three miles, it'd be like really fast, not so fast, he crawled to the finish line. That's the way it would work. But let's think about something different. In the Bible, there's also a principle with regards to seeds and sowing that comes up all the time, and, and that is the idea that big things come from small seeds. The parable of the mustard seed, for example, that big things come from small seeds. So I, I have here something in my hands. Tell me if you guys recognize what this is. Oh, I broke that one. They're all kind of dry now, so it's late in the season, but you know what that is? What that is, there you go. See, it depends on how old you are. Okay, so if you're young or young at heart, that's a helicopter, right? You young people that play video games all day, this was our toy. I don't know what to tell you. This, this was a helicopter right here. That's what that is. Um, but if you're a homeowner, this is an annoyance, right? Anybody have maple trees in their yard? You want to know where these came from? These, oh, that's a bad helicopter right there. They all died. Pray for them. Um, this... Um, and the cleanup crew is mad at me right now for making a mess. But um, these seeds right here, these helicopter seeds for maple trees, came from my roof. Because we have giant maple trees on both sides of our house. And so each year I have to wait till they all fall and then I have to get up on the roof with the blower and blow all of those things off, which looks amazing, by the way. It's like just millions of helicopters just coming down. It's like fireworks or something like that. I just, this little kid in me comes out and I'm like, yeah, look at that. <laughs> I mean, they just start, oh, that's a good helicopter right there. You should save that one, man. That's a good one right there. That, that one. That's the one that crashed. You want that one. So, um, so here's the idea. This little bitty helicopter seed, and really, um, the, the, in reality, the seed is this tiny, you can't even see it, that little part right there. But given time, if you're willing to wait and ride it out, this thing right here can produce a massive, massive tree and headaches every fall. So, let's think about this principle. 
Because it's easy to come into a sermon, hear something that challenges your life, and go, i got to change everything. But, but this idea of reaping and sowing, I want to approach it from the idea, literally, of a seed. And let's start small, and let's talk about something that we talked about even the last couple of weeks on Wednesday nights. Let's talk about things like devotion time, prayer, and quiet time with the Lord. Are you aware, as believers, that we are called by God and required by God's word to seek the Lord through a personal walk with God, through personal time in the word with him and in prayer with God. Are you aware of this? Everyone, amen? If, if you're not, please get a hold of me and let's talk about this because, you know, you can't take that for granted these days, but that's, in reality, this is something that we are called to do. And in our Christian language, we refer to that typically as our devotional time. And devotional time looks different for everybody. There's prayer, there's reading of the word, meditating on the word, there's journaling, which I never do. There's all sorts of things and all sorts of disciplines and all sorts of styles that we use. But it occurs to me that there's at least three elements of uh, devotional uh, options, let's say, um, that I think the word mandates that should be a part of all of our lives. That would be prayer, meditating on the word, and reading. I would say that the study, if you will, of the word would be a better way of saying that. So, so let's consider those. If you were to just take, for example, prayer. Let's start off with, with prayer and let's understand what a small little seed might do in our own life. Because our tendency can be, Jeff preached a sermon on devotions and Charles Spurgeon got up at 4 a.m. and prayed for five hours before anybody showed up. I guess I need to start doing that. Well, that's like a starvation diet. You might pull that off for a little while, but at a certain point, that's not gonna be sustainable. And, and to comfort all of you, I don't care who you are, pastor, elder, any of that, I mean, we are sinners who are inconsistent and often undisciplined. And so there's always going to be seasons. And so what can tend to happen, what my experience has been, when I'm in that dry season where my devotional walk with the Lord is not where it should be, and it comes to my attention, maybe through a sermon or something, then I have to make this massive pendulum swift, or pendulum swing, shift swing, and, and suddenly I'm like, okay, tomorrow I've got to read the word for an hour, I've got to pray for an hour and a half, or at least till my knees start bleeding, and then I've got to do this, I'm going to do this every single day, and even maybe beating myself up a little bit if we're not doing that. But let's just consider, for example, prayer. If you devoted, let's say, 15 minutes every morning just for prayer, and some of you might go, oh, 15 minutes, my goodness. But li- listen, 15 minutes, if you just made a prayer list and you just said, here are some people in my life I'd like to pray for, maybe here's a couple of situations or circumstances that need prayer, and you just make a little bitty list on a piece of paper, I guarantee you 15 minutes of prayer will go by like that. No time whatsoever. So let's say you, you took 15 minutes, I don't care if it's while you're jogging, you're driving to work, whatever, but every morning you discipline yourself to spend 15 minutes in prayer. Well, what would you have at the end of a year? Well, 15 minutes a day times 365 days a year is 5,475 minutes of prayer, which then converts into 91 and a half hours of prayer. In other words, if you just spent 15 minutes every day, at the end of a year, you've got almost four full days of nonstop prayer is essentially what that would equate to. Now, do you think you might see God move in some of that? I think you would. Do you think you might see your heart drawn to God through just that amount of time spent with him? I'm certain that you would. And that's just 15 minutes. What about meditation? Kind of don't go Middle Eastern religion on me or anything, not om or none of that kind of stuff. Um, Meditation is something that the scriptures require us, the scriptures call us to do. Um, I've got a couple of, of verses just that I want to share really fast. Joshua 1.8, can you put that one up? Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. God says to Joshua, make sure you're meditating on the word, because this is an essential part of your success as a leader. So, we see this is really important. The next is Psalm, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates, or thinks intently at length, day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all he does he prospers. 
So the idea is the person who meditates on God's word day and night, it's like come August when you go into the mountains, you're going to see a whole lot of brown, but every once in a while you're going to see one of those little canyons where there's a spring creek coming through and you'll see that little line of green. You know what I'm talking about there? The idea is that the person who is meditating and studying and thinking and living and standing according to God's word, even as things get harsh out there, as stuff dries up, as life gets difficult, you will find that you are rooted into a sustaining life force, if you will. And you will produce fruit. You will not wither. You're not going to dry up like those who are not standing on the word of God. So this is just two of the verses that talk about meditating. And by meditating, I don't mean like read a verse and then um, but I mean like you're chewing on it. Like, okay, let's just take a verse, chew on it, think about it. And, and, and I'm talking small. Some of you are, are Bible reading plans. Do we have any Bible reading plan read through the year people in here at all? There's a couple. I'm horrible at that. I, I did that once for a year, and I, it just, for some of you, it's awesome, and that's great. For me, it didn't work because I felt like, I'm trying to get through the word rather than, than allowing the word to get through me. And every day was just about getting those little boxes checked off on the Bible reading plan. What, what I've found much more beneficial is just taking some small, it could be just a verse, and saying, now, I'm going to chew on this verse. I'm going to think on this verse. Even through the day, there's been times I've printed it out on a little sheet of paper and just have it in the car with me or something just to think on. And so, for example, in Psalm 1, In Psalm 1, verse 6, it says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous is also translated, the Lord knows the steps of the righteous. So let's say you took that verse, just that verse, and you said, I'm going to spend five minutes, just five minutes meditating on that verse this morning. And you're thinking about it. The Lord knows. He's aware of. He's watching over the steps of the righteous person. I don't who is the righteous person? I don't feel like a righteous person, but the word tells me that we have the righteousness of Christ and, and that because of Christ, I'm a righteous person. And that means that, that God knows my steps. God's watching over my steps. And so when I go through things, when I stumble, God's aware of my steps. God's aware of my paths. And you just chew on this thing and you're thinking, how does this apply to me? And how does this fit in scripture? And what does this thing mean? And you're just chewing on that. You don't think that's gonna matter later on when along your steps you step in something? You know what I mean? And you start to remember, man, but the Lord knows. He knew what I was going to be doing today before I ever got up to do it. And he's with me. And in, in, in spite of what I stepped in or tripped over or kicked or whatever the case may be, he has viewed me as righteous because of Jesus. And suddenly, do you, do you see the difference something like that can make in your life? Five minutes. If you did that, five minutes over a year, that would mean over 365 days a year, that's 18, uh, 1,825 minutes or 30 hours. That's over a full day spent doing nothing but chewing and meditating and thinking on the Word of God. I think you're going to find some profit in that. Last one, prayer. No, we did prayer. Reading. The last one's reading. And I'm going to push this beyond even just the reading of the Word into studying, learning, understanding, like deep theological truths. And here, here's why I'm saying that, because uh, I, I, last semester, last fall, I was taking a class in church history. And the reason I even bring Jonathan Edwards up to you earlier today is because he was the guy who I did in my church history class. I, I, he was basically my historical mentor. So my papers and things through that term were on Jonathan Edwards. And, and here's what I realized in reading Jonathan Edwards is that we're dumb. Like we're... We're just, as a society and in general, we're just kind of getting dumber. Wall-E, the movie, you know what I mean? It's just a matter of time before we're all in our own little scooters with TV screens in front and we only shop at Costco. Like, it's coming. Okay, so, so here's what I mean by that. Like, let me put this, did you get that one quote? Did I have that one? Jonathan Edwards, take a look at what he says right here, for example. This is a quote on humility and on understanding our poverty of spirit and how we walk this out. It doesn't have anything to do with today's sermon. I just want you to hear how this guy eloquates and and speaks about the humility of the believer. He says this, A poor man is not disposed to quick and high resentment when he's among the rich. He's apt to yield to others, for he knows others are above him. He is not stiff and self-willed. He is patient with hard fare. He expects no other than to be despised, and he takes it patiently. He does not take it heinously that he is overlooked or little regarded. He is prepared to be in a lowly place, 
He readily honors his superiors. He takes reproofs quietly. He readily honors others above him. He easily yields to be taught and does not claim much to his understanding and judgment. He is not overnice or humorsome and has his spirit subdued to hard things. He's not assuming nor apt to take much upon him, but it is natural for him to be subject to others. Thus it is with the humble Christian. That's about as eloquent and as amazing and as deep. You take that paragraph and chew on that about what it means to be a humble Christian, there is a depth of gold in a quote like that. Jonathan Edwards was a young man when he wrote this. A young man. And what I started realizing as I read some of these things, and some of you have experienced it as you've read as well, that when we go read the old dead guys, you're like, man, they're hard to read. You know what? They're hard to read because we're not used to reading at the depths that some of the, there's language issues for sure, but there is depth of understanding there. So let's imagine, imagine that you took in this world where we live by 140 characters a minute, YouTube highlights, CNN headline news, like we, we don't want to take the time to dig in and do some of that kind of read. We'll read a Facebook timeline for hours. <laughs> but when it comes to doing the work of reading something that doesn't come quick to our understanding that we have to think through, it's hard. But let's imagine that you took 15 minutes every day to just reading some sort of serious I'll say deep, theological, I'm not talking about the left behind books, okay? Like I'm talking like Knowing God by J.I. Packer and that kind of stuff. Like a a book that is teaching you about God's glory, about God's character, about God's nature, about our calling as believers, something like that, okay? A, A meaty theological book. If you took 15 minutes a day to do that, what would that do? You go, well, the problem is I don't read good. I've taken that into account. So the average person today reads at about 350 words per minute. I'm going to use 250 words per minute. That's fourth grade reading level. So if we took 15 minutes a day reading at a a 250 word per minute average and we read some sort of theologically significant, something that is teaching us about God, in one year you would would have read for 5,475 minutes So multiply that times 250 words per minute. That's the number. Just hang with me on this math here. Um, That means that at the end of the year, you're going to read 1,368,750 words. 1.3 million words at the end of the year in only 15 minutes of reading. Now, the average book today has 350 words per page. So when you do the math on that, it comes out to 3,910 pages per year. Then you take the average length of the book. The end result, you would have read in one year, just spending 15 minutes in the morning, you would have read over 20 deep, profound, theologically significant books that are teaching you about the nature, character, and understanding of God and his word. 20. That's amazing. Want to talk about small things leading to big fruit? So, so what are we talking about here? 35 minutes, uh, the length of a sitcom spent in the morning and the fruit that that would reveal on the other side? So why doesn't it happen? If it seems like it's so easy and so small, why doesn't it happen? And the sad result of the whole thing is that the reality is we are undisciplined and there are things we just love and have greater affection for than God. That's just the reality of it. Because it's so much easier to read the newspaper or the stock reports for, oh, not for me anyway, I don't have any stock, but the, the, uh, your Twitter feed or, or a, an article about your hobby or, or anything like that. Those are so much easier and they bring a certain amount of joy or I should say happiness to us in the moment. But here's the reality. Today, today, we are planting seeds that will determine what we will reap down the road. In fact, Today, I would say you are reaping the fruit of seeds you planted previously. So it's good for us to just stop and think for a minute. What did you plant this week? What seeds did we plant this week? What harvest should we expect moving forward based on what we had printed just this week? Because it says here in verse 8, the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. It doesn't mean like politician corruption. It means like decay, death. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so so this is the idea. 
Jesus once said that he came, that Satan comes to steal and destroy, but he came that we might have life and have life more abundantly. And let me, let me encourage you. Another perversion of the gospel is to think that once we are saved, now we're just waiting till heaven to get here. We got our fire insurance and in between nothing really matters. And let me just tell you, even when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, when? On earth as it is in heaven. And I think to have a full, complete definition of the gospel, we need to include the reality that we live according to a kingdom purpose now, not just waiting for heaven to come. Jesus came that we might have an abundant life now, that we might have eternal life now, that we might be able by the Spirit to sow seeds of the Spirit and reap from that eternal life and joy and abundance. And so it's a good heart check to think for just a moment. What did we sow last week? Because the seeds we plant today will determine the harvest that we reap tomorrow. And remember, I'm, I'm not trying to advocate for any of you, like, man, my devotional life's been rough. I'm going to get up at 3 a.m. tomorrow and do any of that. I'm talking like little bitty seeds. That's a good one. That was perfect for that analogy right there, wasn't it? And then I blew it by talking about it. But little bitty seeds can produce massive, massive fruit. Let's just bring it home quickly. Look at verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Man, we could talk so much about this. So let me just put it this way. When you're serving one another, when you're using... uh, the, the fruits of the Spirit, peace, joy, long-suffering, you're serving one another, you're blessing one another, you're being patient with one another. Here's the reality. In every gospel community, we are not perfect people. And in this room are people that are gonna take advantage of you at times, ignore you at times, forget to say thank you at times, basically behave in ways at certain times that would make you go, they don't deserve me to do good to them. And Paul would say to you, don't grow weary in well-doing. We do not do to others that we might reciprocate from them. In fact, Jesus specifically says, if you do that, you're no different than the pagans or the tax collectors or others. We serve others because of the good that has already been done by God to us. And he's saying, don't grow weary. Church, if we will not grow weary in doing well and good to one another and serving, whether people deserve it or are thankful for it or not, we will reap an incredible benefit from the type of gospel community this church will be. I assure you of that. Do not grow weary of serving others. And then Galatians 6 verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So Paul closes out this paragraph here, if you will, by saying, so don't grow weary, and as you have opportunity, listen, serve people. Do good to everyone. When you're at work tomorrow, well, it's Memorial Day. When you're at work Tuesday, look for opportunities to do good for the people around you, even the people who don't deserve it. In in fact, you might even say, especially the person who doesn't deserve it. That guy that drives you crazy the most might be the one that it's best for you and your heart and for the gospel's sake to serve even more. But he also adds, especially the household of faith. Especially the household of faith. And so let me encourage you on this one here too. Man, serve your church. Serve your church family. Give to your church. Support your church practically. I mean, this I mean, it may be a light week now, but, but on average, it'd be really easy to look at the numbers of people here and think, man, there's so many people here. This church must just be growing and thriving. I'll tell you a, a really surprising statistic. It surprised me when I found out. All the ministry that this church does, whether it be Africa, here, staff, all that kind of stuff, all of the ministry that this church does is pretty much supported by about 25 to 30 families who are regular givers and tithers at the church. That makes up the in total of really what goes on here at this church. And so if if you're not one of them, let me encourage you, sow into your church that the church family here might reap the benefits with you as well in supporting and doing what the word of God actually calls us to do. 
I mean, and, and that's to our own good. The book of Malachi actually tells us, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So, so he's saying, just as Paul says, look, give to others and you will reap what you sow. God is saying, look, give, support, bring your offerings and see if I'm not pouring out blessings upon you. It's, it's the one area in all of scripture where God says, put me to the test and see if I don't come through. So give to the church, give to the ministry, give to, to the work that God is doing. Even, even more than that, practically, I shared with you guys some of the needs that are in here. Man, give of your time. Serve one another, especially, he says, the household of faith, this household of faith. Serve one another. It's, if your kids are benefiting from the work that's going on in the children's ministry, I don't understand how you can't go and participate in that as well. Share with them. They need it. And there are people that work over there so often that we are constantly encouraging them, don't grow weary in well-doing. But you can serve and love them by coming alongside them. The setup crews here, all of those different areas. But the beauty of it is, is that what you end up doing is integrating into that gospel community, investing in one another, and finding that you're going to be reaping from that kind of relationship with one another as well. But I, I beg you of this. Don't just attend. Don't just come and then leave. Because you are missing out on some of the most vital aspects of Christian living that there is. Just this week, and we're done here, man. This week, I have, it's been a crazy couple of weeks with regards to hospital visits. And Sam, we're going to just wind it down. It's okay. Waved him off. <laughs> we're <clears throat> we're going it, to, it's been a crazy, I did a memorial service Thursday. I did a memorial service yesterday. Another uh, gal at our church, Marianne Gerst, a lot of you guys know her, just got word that her mother who's in the hospital is not strong enough for the heart surgery she needs. And so it's just a matter of time now. She's not going to make it. Um, there, there's so many different things going on. Even found out that a dear, dear friend who comes here to the church, I, I'm a dog person, so don't laugh at me when I do this, this is serious. Last night, found out that her dog, which was as healthy as could be a week ago, bit by a tick, Lyme disease. She got a call at 3 a.m. from the vet. He didn't make it. I mean, there's just stuff like that has been going on. But, but here's what I see. The people who invest in the church community around them, whether it be huddle groups or whether it be ministry or wh whatever it might be, I, whenever I go to the hospital to visit those people, they are never alone when I get there. They're never alone when I get there. There's always people around them already praying for them. And that's where I can share this with our church with joy because I see so much of this already happening. Seeing people just coming around and loving and, and supporting and making meals and delivering flowers. I called yesterday or the day before to order flowers for a memorial service that we were doing. And the moment I mentioned the name, the lady at the flower shop actually said, oh, we've got flowers. We've got lots of flowers already being ordered for that particular memorial service. And that just made my heart just leap to hear that. And so I can share this with you with great joy because I see so much of it going. But I also, when I read this and share this, it creates angst in me because there's so much room for so much more. And the end result, it's not about trying to build some mega church or the heritage brand, but the end result will be joy for the believer and joy for the body of Christ. So let me encourage you, share all good things with those who handle the word. Serve one another do not be weary in serving and doing well with one another. Always do good for all people and especially do good and find ways to serve those within the household of faith. And you think, that just sounds selfish. Why would God say it that way? We're okay. Why wouldn't we do that out there? Because again, the idea is in here, as we love one another, people will see our good works. People will see how we're loving one another, how we're caring for one another. And as Jesus taught, they will glorify God in heaven as they see the works that we do here. This is part of evangelism, just loving one another. I'm thankful for you, Heritage. There are servants in here that blow my mind and make me look pathetic. And I praise God for you. And I praise God for this church. I am thankful for the way that you care for us, for the way you look out for us, for the support and encouragement. I'm even thankful for the criticism that I receive from you because it makes me a better pastor, teacher, and just man. And I love you dearly. And I think we have just barely scratched the surface of what God could do if we choose to walk in gospel community. Amen? Amen.
Well, I've gone super late on a holiday weekend. Will you guys stand and let's pray? God, I pray that the seed of this word will find fertile soil in our soul and produce great fruit. I pray, God, that you would by your spirit empower us to make investments into the spirit, to not put all of our work into the flesh, those things that will bring decay and corruption, but God, may we, may we truly believe the gospel and walk in response to the gospel, motivated by the gospel, knowing that we can do these things because you love us. And Lord, may our service not just be something where we're looking for recognition or thanks from the people we serve, but may it be an act of worship to you because you served us when we did not deserve it. You did not grow weary as you hung on the cross paying the price for our sin. And we reap the benefits of what you have done on our behalf. So Lord, may we be sowers of spiritual things here. And may every church in this valley, in this nation, in the world that preaches your gospel do the same. And Lord, may there be another great revival, great awakening in our nation as your spirit moves. Lord, just as that spirit came through on Pentecost so long ago, I pray, God, that your spirit would move through this nation. Lord, I pause even now to pray and thank you, Lord, as it is Memorial Day weekend for the the country that you have given us. And for those, Lord, who paid the ultimate sacrifice to give us this nation where we can study these things and learn of these things. But Lord, even in that, our attention pushes beyond that to something else because, Lord, we know that you are the one who made the ultimate sacrifice for freedom. And so we are so grateful for you and your gospel, and we worship you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Love you guys dearly. Thank you, Heritage. God bless. Have a great weekend.